Welcome to CEF Insights, your source for closed-end fund information and education brought to you by the Closed-End Fund Association. My name is Diane Merritt. Today we are joined again by Tom Rosine, Head of Research Services with Lipper from Refinitive and author of the Fund Market Insight Report, which provides in-depth monthly commentary on the closed-end fund market. We are happy to have you with us today, Tom. Thanks, Diane. Good to be here. Tom, you recently published your report covering March 2020. You study over 500 closed-end and interval funds regarding performance, premiums and discounts, and corporate activity. Since we spoke last month, we have continued to see significant market volatility. What has been the general impact on closed-end funds, and has there been any dislocation between activity and closed-end funds, and what is occurring in the broader market? Well, actually, whether we were in closed-end funds, open-end funds, individual securities, it was a gut-wrenching month uh, to be in the market. This was the perfect storm that was being uh, created over the month. I mean, not only did we have horrible news on COVID-19 playing havoc in the world's uh, citizenry, but we also had a skyrocketing infections. We had an increase in death rates. And then the shelter-in-place orders uh, that came out in the United States, which really had a huge impact on global commerce, put all the markets at significant edge. And with this, then we had piled on to this, this argument between Saudi Arabia, let's call it OPEC, and Russia, where they reduced, uh, they were talking about trying to reduce uh, oil output, right? And they got into this horrible price war. During the month, we saw a 54.24% decline in oil prices to $20.48 per barrel. That we haven't seen for at least 18 years, those low of numbers. And then to top that off, we also saw the Fed cut its rate to zero. Now, that normally would be a good sign, right? It, it means that the Fed is injecting money. They're, you know, they're doing some things to make sure that uh, liquidity enters the market. However, what happened with that is people all of a sudden, because of this decline and the disruption in the global commerce community, they basically saw an increase in credit quality spreads. So now investors started becoming very concerned on whether even high-quality companies will be able to make payments on their interest payments, whether municipalities locally will be able to do the same. And this played havoc in the market. So let me give you an example. Equity closed-end funds declined 20.64% for March. That is the largest one-month NAV-based decline that we have seen since October 31st, 2008. And to make things even worse, we saw a 25.84% decline in the market-based prices of closed-end funds, and that was the worst we've seen in at least 35 years. And if we take a quick look at the fixed income side of the arena, we see that the one-month returns actually declined 12.80%. By the way, that was the worst in 35 years. And then if we look at the market prices, they saw a 14% decline. We did see that in September 30th, 2008, we had a similar decline, actually a little bit steeper. So we really have entered uncharted territory for a couple of these areas that we're looking at in the closed-end fund arena. Your data breaks out closed-end funds into over 20 classifications. What classifications were best performing for the month and which sectors struggled? So this is one of those things where we talk about mitigating losses. Mixed asset funds uh, lost about 17.81%. This isn't a month, by the way. World equity funds were down 18.10, and domestic equity funds got trounced, down 22.21%. But really, we did see a couple of areas that mitigated losses better. Income-oriented groups, real estate closed-end funds were only down, uh, tongue-in-cheek, 10.79%. Option strategy, option arbitrage funds were down 11.62%. But what we saw, the real hurt, was energy MLP funds, 
down 63.74%, natural resources funds down 38.59%, and even utility funds down 18.79. And then if we look on the fixed income side, uh, we see that muni bond funds did a better job of mitigating losses, only down 8.24%. Domestic taxable bond funds were down 15.84%. And world income was down about 17.69%. And they were really clobbered by, uh, remember I said, people are really concerned about the credit quality. Will people be able to pay the interest due on the paper that they've sold? So, you know, the the firms that are out there. So emerging market debt was down 20.45%. High yield leverage lost 17.23, but on the muni bond fund side, we saw intermediate muni debt funds only down 5.02%, and the general and insured muni bond funds down only down 5.88. And again, I, I don't think I would have ever imagined a few months ago saying only down 5.88 when I'm talking about a muni bond fund, but again, we've entered this, this kind of new realm of uh, the perfect storm just playing havoc on the complete market. Is this a change in what you saw from February? It is. So it's kind of the same order in magnitude, uh, the same order uh, of losses that we saw. You know, remember last month that we talked about energy MLP and natural resources funds uh, taking it on the chin, but the magnitude was much different on the equity side. And one of the things that we saw was, and that we're concerned about, is that this was not only a drop in, let's say, what you and I have experienced as investors, but it really was a drop in total net assets. So we have some concerns on whether the fund families are going to have to cut distributions whether they're going to be able to meet their leverage tests. There's uh, asset coverage tests that they have to meet in order to do leverage. And so I think this is kind of the change, but it it is similar. Now, when we get on the fixed income side, we kind of a new ballgame again. Uh, For the last four months, I've been telling you that the mini bond funds have been the place to be. Four positive months of of plus-side performance, all the categories, all the classifications were in plus-side returns. Well, this month, all of them are in negative territory. So really, people are even concerned about some of the quality issues on the taxable fixed income and tax-exempt fixed income side. Are you seeing these trends carry over into April? We are, and I think there's maybe some positive news. I mean, the market has rallied 11 percent in the last two days, so we're up today. At least uh, the market's not quite uh, closed quite yet, but market was up today. was up almost 7 percent yesterday, so we may be seeing a bottom to this. But I think we have to be very cautious about it. But again, I, I think one of the things that we're going to have to keep an eye on is the uh, leverage and uh, distributions. Are those going to change? Uh, but again, we may have turned the corner. We'll have to see. Now, closed-end funds can trade at a premium or discount to net asset value. What were the trends in premium discount behavior? We saw that all funds uh, overall, for looking at all closed-end funds, we saw a widening of their median discount. 170 basis points to 9.78%. If we take a look at the individuals, equity funds got clobbered worse, as we would imagine with the market doing uh, the big tank that we saw. 311 basis points to a median discount of 10.84%. And then the fixed income group saw about 73 basis points in widening of their median discount to 9.11%. How do premiums and discounts compare to their historical averages? So this is where I think people will, will sit up and pay a little bit more attention. Uh, if we go back two months ago in January, we saw that all uh, overall, all median discounts for all funds was about 4.95%. That has increased to 9.78%, uh, so almost a doubling. In equity funds, we saw a doubling. In January, on January 31st, the median discount was about 5.4% for the median for the equity funds. That is now at 10.84%. And for fixed income overall, we saw 4.96% January 31st, and now we're at 9.11. And really, uh, kind of the, t- the telltale was the number of funds trading at a discount on January 31st was 115. 
we're now down to 60. So that is certainly uh, almost uh, halved as well. Which sector saw the greatest change? National munis actually saw a narrowing of discounts. And again, this is that where people are looking and saying, listen, there's some quality there. Some of this, you know, some of these horrible returns were, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I think that was seen in some of the national munis. So we saw a narrowing of discounts, about 87 basis points uh, to about 6.52. But world income funds, as I told you, emerging market debt and the like, took it on the chin. We saw a widening of about 358 basis points to 10.26% for uh, world income funds. Tom, with this degree of market volatility, are there sectors where investors may find particular opportunities given where those funds are trading relative to their historical averages? I believe there is. And, and, uh, but I say that with, with a lot of caution because I don't know, and I don't think anybody knows. I mean, if you, you know, look at one pundit out there, they're saying we've turned them, you know, things have gotten better in New York. The uh, contagion rate is not as up as uh, high as it was, and death rate is starting to crawl down. And so maybe we've turned the corner there. But you go to the next analyst out there, and they're saying kind of just the opposite that there's more shoes to drop. So I cautiously say, for instance, we know that the next folks that make the next breakthrough health and biotechnology funds may be uh, something that people could keep an eye on and that type of stuff. But one thing I'd like to caution is as we are taking a look at it and, and the closed-in funds are based on yield, we do have to look at whether they're using leverage, whether they are going to violate their uh, asset coverage tests for leverage. I think you know people remember that if you use debt, you have to have 300% asset coverage tests, meaning that for every dollar that you borrow in debt, you have to have $3 in assets. And with the big decline in total net assets, right, because of these huge declines, uh, we have to see if funds, closed-in funds, are going to have to cut their distribution in order because they violated the assets coverage test. Um, and in addition, there are the two areas that I think I'm most concerned with that I wouldn't look for deals here yet until the dust settles, and that's energy MLP funds. Uh, you know, we've had some energy MLP uh, two of them, that had over 80% losses. Uh, and in fact, the highest was 87.34% loss due to this market decline, and I think we need to keep an eye on that. And also, natural resources funds have had a tough road to hoe as well on this one. And so I'd be cautious pulling the trigger too quickly. But yes, I think there are going to be some classifications out there uh, where they have good quality, like some of the option arbitrage, uh, option strategy funds, where they're doing covered calls and the like, where they're buying high quality, getting high distributions, but we still have to watch for, again, two things. Are they going to cut the distribution? And then the last piece you know, do they have leverage and are they going to have to cut leverage or reduce leverage? And that may cost some significant dollars and, and some pain as far as returns go. Tom, you also follow interval funds, and we have been speaking over the past several months about how they differ from traditional closed-end funds. How has the market volatility impacted interval funds? Well, so we have talked about this and, and the, the fact that they don't have to worry about premium discounts, right? Because obviously they only sell at NAV and they, they basically can be purchased at any time during a month, but they only have quarterly refunding. Usually it's quarterly refunding. And when they do have to sell, they only have to sell between, usually it all depends what it, what it is in their prospectus and their annual reports, what they're stating, between 5 and 25%, and it's at the discretion of the manager. So there are some benefits that I think that we take a look at that they don't really have to worry about mass redemption as we do uh, with uh, traditional open-end funds. But again, if they have any sort of leverage, and I don't believe they're, they're doing preferred, I believe if they are, they, they're probably using debt, they may have to sell into that, into the debt issue. But again, I, I think there's a positive there. We're basically having investors safe from themselves, if you will, because there is no selling pressure, at least not immediately. Interval funds often make investments in private securities. 
Does this create any challenges in the current market environment? It does. And so this is kind of what I was referring to. Remember, I told you about high yield and loan participation funds and even emerging market debt. One of the things that they do a good job is invest in illiquid security stuff that really cannot be redeemed. And if they're forced to redeem, they may have to sell into this market that caused the 87% declines I was talking about in energy MLP. Because if you have to get rid of it because you have to meet certain requirements, it could cause some hardship in trying to sell. It's very hard to get a fair market value for assets that are being discounted and illiquid assets that really nobody wants to buy at this time. So I see that as a little bit of a disadvantage at this time with the illiquid securities. Is it possible that less liquid investments could also present interesting opportunities in markets such as these? Absolutely. And this is one of the benefits. So if they don't have to sell into this this market turmoil and they have the higher returns coming out that usually you get with uh, illiquid securities, that's why people buy them, uh, is they usually have a higher yield. There is a possibility that two things, I could be saving myself from you know selling when I should be buying, or a lot of people will unfortunately buy high and sell low right, in, in open-end funds. So I'm being saved from that. But also, I can also get some higher yields out of it. So I think this will be an interesting test case that we'll probably look back upon to see how the interval funds actually behaved and uh, how well they fared during these troubling times. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Diane. Good to be here again. And we want to thank you for tuning in to another CEF Insights podcast. For more educational content, please visit our website at www.sepa.com.